Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context. And I don't know where you are in your either childbearing years or kids in school, or maybe like me, you're a grandparent whose kids are heading toward elementary schools. And every parent is concerned. Well, most parents are concerned about the kind of education their kids are getting. In my lifespan of 43 years of ministry, education has changed dramatically. And as we've talked about many times on the podcast, it's not just education, it's indoctrination. There are all kinds of creative ways from homeschooling to tutorials to maybe you have a Christian or a classic school in your area, maybe a charter school. But there are some other things that you might not be aware of that are far more accessible, especially for folks that might not have the resources. And we have a great guest today, Joel Penton. And let me tell you a little bit about Joel before we get into his ministry, because he's a small guy. He's six foot five and weighs 290 at his welterweight. He is a defensive tackle, a national champion, and a perennial powerhouse for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And you'll notice on his podcast set, there's a little red in the background. He is the author of three books, and he's the founder and CEO of LifeWise Academy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Joel, give us a little bit of your history and playing ball, though, so folks get a sense of who this Buckeye is. Oh, sure. Well, thank you, Dr. Easley, for having me. It's an honor. And yeah, I'll gladly tell you a bit of my background. I'm from a small town in Northwest Ohio. I came to faith when I was in high school and right away became a bit of an evangelist, sharing the gospel with anybody who would listen and even (laughs) beginning to preach in churches when I was in high school. And part of the reason I was able to do that and have a platform to speak is because I did have some success on the football field, played for the Ohio State University. Didn't quite emphasize Excuse the word me. the Excuse me. Yeah. enough. Yeah, okay. Well, next time, maybe. maybe yeah, not. I was... <laughs> I, I had a chance to play for who I think is the greatest coach to ever coach the game, Jim Tressel, from 2002 through 2006. Got to be part of a national championship there. I wasn't a marquee player. I tell people if they remember me playing, then they care too much about Ohio State football. Oh. But I got to be a part of some great teams, including some Big Ten championships, some bowl appearances and victories. And more than anything, it provided me a platform to share the gospel with others. That's great. That's great. Now, how did you and your wife meet? We met at Ohio State through the Athletes in Action Ministry. I also married a full-ticket jock. Oh, wow. Bethany, yeah, Bethany was a gymnast at Ohio State. She, So people ask me, is Bethany the best athlete in the family? And I say, by far. Have you ever, have you ever seen these gymnasts? I mean, she's... <laughs> She's incredible. She's now a competitive CrossFitter. She really is. She just opened the Worldwide CrossFit Open in the top 1% worldwide. I contend she has to be the fittest mother of five on the planet. Well, as folks will find in the show notes, we'll have links to all this information, and you'll see a picture of his beautiful family. And as he says on one of his introductory YouTube, she does look like his daughter. So just to give you a little <laughs> heads up, he chose wisely. He chose a beautiful, wonderful mom and wife. Well, let's get to one of the problems in education. And we would always respect the men and women of faith who are in public schools or who are fighting a good fight, and we in no way want to demean them. But you know, as a parent, turning your lovely, wonderful, perfect child over to the school system is terrifying. And for parents that can't afford a Christian or classical or charter opportunity, you've stumbled across something, and I'm going to let you set up the story, but it's been around since the 50s, and you didn't know or tell us how you discovered this wonderful law 
legal anomaly in our uh, federal systems. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity. It is something called released time religious instruction, which probably means nothing to... Sounds like you're getting out of prison. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. It does. And, um, And we believe it's the single greatest missed opportunity of the wow. American church to reach the next generation. And and let me tell you what it is. It's the practice of students being released from public school during school hours. Those are the key operative words. During the school day, kids are released to receive religious instruction, provided the program is off school property, privately funded, and they have parental permission. The Supreme Court ruled on this in 1952. So it's been around for 70 years. 26 states have laws on the books about release time, but almost nobody knows about it, which has been kind of lying dormant, kind of under the radar for 70 years. Again, we think it's a great missed opportunity, but back in 2018, we were introduced to this opportunity and we said, well, let's let's try to do something with this. And the Lord is using it in some incredible ways. We launched in two public schools in 2019. And here we are just a few years later. And next year, we'll be in over 300 schools across 12 states. Wow. 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 Well, your YouTube didn't go quite that far. So I'm learning something as we're talking. Your book is called During School Hours. Interestingly, a number of years ago, I was asked to go down to Atlanta to a uh, Moody student who had graduated. I knew them when they were in the Institute. And they had a program very similar to this. It may not have been Mm -hmm. under the same umbrella, but the kids walked about half a block to a house and they had, during school, had an hour class. And have you looked into the Equal Access Bill or the Equal Access Act? It was 1984. Well, yeah. So equal access law is one kind of body of law that presents a lot of opportunity for religious organizations and ministries, but it tends to be after school hours and on the weekends because the buildings, the school buildings can be used. You have to have equal access for religious organizations. Release time law similarly creates this incredible opportunity, but it's almost the inverse of that, right? It's not in the school building, but during school hours kids can be released to receive Bible education. As you said, release time has been used here and there in small pockets, really for over 100 years since before the Supreme Court ruled on it. But it's just been, again, under the radar in the state of Ohio when we came on the scene in 2018. We did research. We could identify maybe two dozen release time programs in a state that has over 600 school districts. And so it's just one of the most underutilized opportunity, which is our project is to popularize it and to make the tools available to communities coast to coast. Now, one of the first questions I had looking at your materials and watching a couple of the YouTubes was, this is during school, so is this an elective hour? Is this, do they still have recess today? Because obviously those kids are leaving the campus for, I would guess, about an hour. Yes, they leave campus for 45 minutes to an hour once per week. And it usually does, usually fits into the specials rotation. It usually is with elementary kids, although we do serve all the way up through seniors in high school. But typically, it's elementary age, and it's worked into their specials rotation. So in the way that kids get art class once a week, gym class once or twice a week, music class, now they can have an optional, so elective, Bible class once per week. Okay, I'm feeling uneducated and really terrible right now. Gym is only once a week? 
<laughs> well, I mean, I think they have recess multiple times wow. every day, but some I gym, had gym I every day. Very... Oh, really? Did well, you have gym yeah. every day when you were in school? I had it a few times a week, but I don't know about okay. every day. Gosh, we did. Of course, I played ball, and so you, you know, it was practice before and after. But anyway, education has changed a lot. Now, of your five kids, are they all privileged to take advantage of this in the schools they attend? So we actually homeschool our kids. Okay. We, uh, okay. My wife's able to stay home. She homeschools our five kids. And sometimes people even, they ask me, they say, well, how do you homeschool your kids? And then you lead a public school ministry. And I say, it's the same things that motivate me to homeschool my children are those things that motivate me to reach out to yeah. the kids in public schools, because it is such a kind of a dark place in the sense that God's word is not shared there. And so we want to do it, especially if we're pulling our kids out, we want to do everything we can to reach those kids. Now you said, how many states are you now in? This next year we'll be in a dozen states. A dozen states. And I hate to go to the negative, but you obviously probably face pushback here and there. What are some of the predictable things? So a parent or a grandparents listening to you and me talk about this, I'd like to find out more about that. And maybe there's an FCA or a, uh, a student venture or something at their school. And they say, that's parent and student led. We could probably find out a handshake here, someone within a block or two of the school. What are the steps that they go through to say, how do I, first of all, find out about this program, which will be in the show notes, but what's the first thing I do? Do I go to the principal? Do I go to the school board? What do I do? Yeah, I love this question. Yeah, the intuition would say go to the school board or go to the principal, and we would tell you, please don't do that first, okay? We have, through some trial and error, through some iterations, we've developed a very simple 10-step launch process that every community can follow, and it starts by cultivating community interest. This needs to be a grassroots effort, and we've created a system for that on our website, lifewise.org, that's L-I-F-E-W-I-S-E.org. Anybody can go and you can click Find Your School, and you can find out if there's already a LifeWise movement, okay. if there's already people who are interested, and even if there's not, and even if you don't want to be the one to lead it or to teach it, that's okay. The first thing is to gather signatures on what we call a community interest list, which is basically a petition. We want to see 50 signatures in the community of community members saying, we want this in our community. From there, we can form a steering committee. And with that steering committee, we can formulate a plan that then is taken to the school. We don't want to go to the school until we already have a plan in place and we already have people behind this. And so it really starts with that process and anybody can start it. Anybody can go find their school, add their name, share the link, and then let the process take care of itself. So, and I know this is probably hard to answer because it's unique in each place, but what are some time frames, Joel, from the interest to actually implementation? Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it? Yeah, if we have a year, that's great. And so starting around now, the truth is though, most communities do it in less than a year. So if you were to start the process now and there's a lot of interest in the community and the signatures come in, the steering committee gets together, we may be launching that program as soon as January. It can be nice to launch for the second half of the school year to almost as a pilot. But once we get into kind of October and November, if that's when the process starts, we'd be looking at the next school year. So really anywhere six to nine months is often okay. about how long it takes. Okay, so we're starting to build the steering committee. What are you going to teach my kids on this one hour a week class that's in a home, probably within walking distance, maybe a shuttle from the public school? 
Yeah, great question. We're going to teach them the Bible, and specifically, we're going to have a gospel centrality as we teach the Bible. We've partnered with a curriculum, a Sunday school curriculum called The Gospel Project. It's produced by Lifeway. And again, we tend to start with elementary school kids, and so we will take kids through the entire Bible over five years. So they'll start in first grade in Genesis. By the time they're done in fifth grade, they've finished Revelation. And every lesson, we have a threefold focus that we call the head, heart, and hands. So head, we just ask the question, what does the story say? What's the information on the page of the Bible? Heart, we then take a step back and we say, okay, how does this story connect to the bigger picture story of the gospel? How does this point to Jesus? And so we're talking about Jesus and the gospel every single week. And then finally, hands, we're asking, if we understand this rightly, this passage and the gospel in light of that, how's our character transformed? How are our actions transformed? And so kids get that head, heart, hands approach every single week through their entire education. So I'm a you know 43-year retired pastor, and I'm thinking, I love teaching. I did this Actually, at the last church I pastored, I taught through the whole Bible, one book each Sunday, wow. and uh, I loved it. But you come to Numbers and Leviticus and the first and seconds, kids track with that, with the curriculum? They do. Well, for one, the Gospel Project is really incredible, and they do a great job. And I will say, you're hitting highlights, right? And so right. not each and every page, it's not necessarily a, a Bible reading plan. They're not going through every right. verse, but they're hitting the highlights, they're hitting the basics. And so you might, you know, there might be just one lesson on Job, even though you've got all those chapters of Job, and some of them can be kind of dense to get through, right? Yep. All that poetry, but, but they get the basics, and you'll be amazed at how much these kids kids are retaining. You know, you go to one of our inner city programs here in Columbus, Ohio, and the teacher has these kids rattle back through the summaries of all these Bible stories, and it's really remarkable. Video curriculum, teachers you've trained that go through a program, who's teaching this in these homes, let's say, in the neighborhood? Yeah, well, through that launch process, the 10-step process, we have the steering committee, we get approval from the school, and then we identify a program director and a leadership board. The board and the director, they post the jobs for teachers, and they seek out the most highly qualified teachers they can. And so you don't technically, by law, have to have a teaching certificate. However, they're looking for the most qualified teachers there are. And so they're often hiring newly retired teachers or young mothers who don't want to work five days a week. They like the idea of kind of the partial schedule or somebody who has a lot of teaching experience in Sunday school classrooms. And But it's really local people who are making the hiring decisions. It's local people who are doing the teaching. Lifewise, we just provide all the tools. You know, we provide the okay. systems and the resources and the training and the curriculum, and then local people go to work. So if someone goes through that whole vetting and you've got a good retired you know, school teacher, maybe a pastor with credentials, are they going to teach once a week? Or are they going to teach multiple schools once a week? Well, it really, those details vary from community okay. to community. And so, you know, I'll just give you an example. Our, our largest program is in a town in Northwest Ohio, Defiance, Ohio. That's where they are defying the removal of religion from schools. Yeah, I'm, I've been working on that a little bit. So in Defiance, yeah. Ohio, they have five times a day, five days a week, wow. two classrooms at a time, wow. leave the school, get on an R72 passenger giant LifeWise bus, like that bus in the background, and they ride it less than a mile down the road to the YMCA, and they go into two classrooms 
there's a thousand students in the elementary school and over 900 of them are in LifeWise. So over 90% of the kids in the entire school are in our program. And so they have two full-time teachers and they are teaching those kids, I mean, you know, class after class after class, and they'll have different grades. And so they'll be teaching some different lessons, you know, throughout the day, you know, throughout the week, they rotate through essentially the entire school. So that's our largest program. But then we'll also have some small programs where maybe they're just piloting one class in a very small school. And so they do all volunteers and, and maybe just take, you know, maybe it's just an hour a week. It's all based on the community. Boy, it would almost seem like it would be reversed that they would just actually let the school stay in class and do it right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that says that. And on, no, one, level, I, on one level, I don't want to get into that debate. I do want to say it's what's yeah. kind of nice that the bar is set so high that you have to like buy a bus and find a facility and raise the money and find the teachers, that it means only those with the highest standards and really engage in this type of thing. And what we love about that as Christians is that we're ambassadors of the king of the universe. And so we like high standards. So we like the bars that high. Yep. Well, and I got to believe your athletic training and discipline and routines and all that certainly are a good hand and glove for thinking through this. But it's fascinating to me that that many people in that community, I mean, obviously the Lord's working, but two or three observations you've made, why has it been so successful, if you want to use that word, or why has it grown and so many people so highly committed? Yeah, well, most fundamentally, we really believe the Lord is behind this. I mean, we daily are seeing miracles take place and the Lord providing right when it's needed. And I can't overstate that, especially when it comes to the people. In this environment, people say, they say it's hard to find good people. And you should see the people who are showing up. I think of the woman who shut down her private law practice to lead a LifeWise. I think of the woman who leads a medical facility who is a LifeWise director. I think of our creative director is an Emmy-winning filmmaker who shut down his filmmaking business to be the creative director for this little ministry. I mean, the Lord is sending the right people. And then secondly, I would say simply timing. I think no one is unaware of the angst that is in our culture, especially around education, that so many people know there's something wrong. And so many people feel like they've only been on the defensive for decades. And now here's an opportunity where they say, oh, wait, we don't just have to be against things. We can be for things. And here's a real solution. And so you have people who are saying, you're telling me All I need to do is volunteer some time. All I need to do is write a check. All I need to do is show up and we can teach our public school students the Bible. You just tell me when to show up. You just tell me how big of a check to write and God's people are showing up in force. Again, probably not something you'd rather talk about, but some of the challenges, I mean, you've got to perhaps have other religious groups that are unhappy that you're teaching the Bible. Oh, it's an elective. Yeah, but you know, we don't have an elective for XYZ encountered some of that, I presume. You know, we have, and we haven't been without some naysayers and some challenge, but I will say this, it's been, we've received much less negativity than I would have ever imagined. I live in a large suburb in Columbus, Ohio. And if you would have asked me a few years ago to give you a list of the five school districts that this would maybe never work in, I would have 
I would have known what five school districts to write down. I would have given you the big city district. I would have given you the really wealthy districts that are left-leaning. You know, I would have given you a list. But I'll tell you that I would have been wrong because all five of those districts we are live in today. And I think it's for a variety of factors. I think, number one, the legal case is so clear. It's so unambiguous that administrators who are often trying to position themselves to not get in trouble, you know, they know they can't get in trouble. I mean, the Supreme Court case is so clear. There's also a feeling, well, there's two more things. One, there's a feeling they know there's a whole segment of the community that's been feeling shut out for quite some Mm -hmm. time. And here's an opportunity for them to say yes to that side of the community that has felt shut out. And then the third thing I would say is that we often hear a very vocal minority of those who are opposed to the biblical worldview. But the truth is the vast majority of people in our country are still in a way positive toward the Bible. Even if they are disengaged, even if they're not taking their kids to church, when they hear oh, wait, my kid can receive a Bible class and it'll have to do with character. The typical parent says, you know what? My kid could use some of that in their life, especially if I'm not taking them to church. And so it's a great opportunity for the vast majority of families to engage. Well, and again, watching some of your materials on YouTube, it's almost like a wanna in some churches where you're inviting a child to go to this you know, fun program and the kid comes to Christ goes home and the parents say, what's that church doing to my kid? They visit the church. And from time to time, you hear these stories that a family comes to Christ to get involved in local church. And you're bound to have seen some of those kinds of experiences. Well, we see it now very in very rapid fashion. I mean, just wow. a few weeks ago, I was texted a photo of a mother and her daughter being baptized. And wow. the mother, when it came to Giving her testimony, she said it was LifeWise that reconnected them to the church. I mean, a video that you may have seen on her website, a little boy who providentially was named Christian, although he it wasn't until he went to LifeWise that he was even familiar with the word Bible. And sure enough, a few years into LifeWise, not only is Christian in the baptism class in his church, now his mother is in a weekly Bible study with the LifeWise teacher and their family donates monthly to the local LifeWise program so that other kids can get involved. And just, it's almost, I feel like it's every week we're getting these stories coming in. And I tell people, you know, I played football in college and there's only one thing in the world that could ever get me to show up to a soccer field because I'm not necessarily a soccer fan. (laughs) And that is... That's my kids. That's right. My kids play soccer. And so where am I on Saturdays? I'm sitting at a soccer field. And we're seeing that effect with LifeWise, right? So what kid doesn't want to get on the big red bus? Well, there aren't any. They all want to get on the big red bus. And then they get excited. They fall in love with Jesus. They go home. And well, the one kid, Christian, he had the LifeWise teacher call his mom to invite his mom to church. And the parents are saying, my kid's excited about this. Well, then, yeah, let's get involved. So let's back up again. We talk of programming a little bit more. But so, again, a a parent, grandparents here in this, they go to the website, they look for their school, and they find nothing. So they basically, what, they post their schools, they were interested in this area? 
Well, they will find their school. They're going to, oh, okay. every school district in the nation is on our website. And oh, okay. so at a minimum, they're going to see their school listed and they're going to see a big question on the screen. Should we start a Bible education program for, and then fill in the blank. Nice. And if the parent or grandparent says, yes, I think we should, then I'm going to ask them, will you please fill out the form that says, yes, I think we should, and then send the link where you filled out that form, send that link around to your neighbors, to your church, to people you yeah. know. We'll get to the 50 signatures and we're off to the races. Yeah, and I would bet, well, from district to district, I bet that happens pretty quickly, especially if they're like-minded parents like me going, you know, hey, what are they doing to my grandkids, you know? And, uh, hey, we have a lot of people that feel the same way. And they go, well, our kids are committed to Christian school or $30,000 a year for this. And you're like, for elementary? That's a lot of commitment. Yeah, I mean, if you have it, it's one thing. But this is now, are you seeing this with private schools as well? Do they take advantage of it? You know, we've been contacted by a few private schools and depending on the situation, we may engage as well as with charter schools. However, private Christian schools, I mean, they, they just they teach don't need Bible. It. They don't need it. They teach their own Bible curriculum. And, you know, our, our focus is going to be the kids who don't have this as part of their school day. We're going to serve those schools. From a demographic standpoint, the kids that go on these buses, if they're from public schools and looking again on your site somewhat, a lot of those are inner city campuses. So I'm suspecting a lot of single parent homes. Oh, yeah. Is it kind of a slice of Americana in that regard? And so some of these kids, this may be the most positive religious, aka Bible experience they've had. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, we're seeing every kind of kid you can imagine. And the truth is what we're finding is that whether it's inner city, suburb, or rural, things may look different, but when it comes to Bible literacy, it's the same everywhere, and it's almost non-existent. And so this is going to be for nearly every kid. I mean, we just heard a story of a girl who came into class. They gave her a Bible. They showed her how to find John 3.16, and her response was, the pages are so thin because this child had never held a Bible in her hand. And so she didn't yep. know that that's how Bible pages are. We had a boy who came into class and they said, okay, now we're going to read the Bible. And he turned to the volunteer his first day of class and said, what is a Bible? And, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, the class where that I visited, I think this is in one of our videos, that the teacher said, who can tell me the names of Jesus' parents? And not a single child in this Bills. rural elementary school knew that Joseph and Mary were the names. And so, yeah, this is the, when you take a couple generations off of teaching kids the Bible, this is yeah. what you get. We're orphans, we're stepchildren. Talk a little bit more about the curriculum. Now you say in five years, you go through each book of the Bible. What are some other things besides the head, the heart, and the hand that they're going to be exposed to or encouraged by, or maybe even challenged in the way they think? Well, each and every week, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear about Jesus. We are committed to that, that we don't simply want to teach biblical principles when it comes to biblical morals. While those will be included, fundamentally, we're going to teach the gospel. So they're going to hear about a good God who's redeeming his fallen creation through the person and work of his son, Jesus, through his death for sin and resurrection. And then as they move on, if the program expands into the middle school and even the high school, they will begin to engage with more worldview-oriented questions. You know, we've, okay. we've kind of programmed all this information. We've kind of given them all these pieces. Now they're going to start making the connections between the pieces. How do I build this larger biblical worldview? And then at the high school level, they will have opportunities for 
some advanced learning. So we have partnerships with Christian universities, and some of our classes are actually dual enrollment classes that kids can get high school and college credit. So talk a little bit about the folks writing the curriculum, because our friends are going to know who's behind this. The Gospel Project may not be well-known, and uh, you're always going to have who are the authors, who are the writers, what materials are being put in front of these kids. Yeah, well, it's a LifeWay product. So LifeWay is one of the largest Christian publishing houses around, and they they have a variety of curriculums. But this one, apart from being topical, is very much scripture-driven. So that's part of our philosophy. We want scripture to set the agenda. So that's why we start with scripture before moving on to gospel and character. And it's, yeah, and Lifeway. And and if your listeners are really curious about the curriculum on our website, there is a curriculum page and you can download a full packet that has a, a full lesson, the teacher's guide, as well as kind of a syllabus for the first year. I went over to the Gospel Project site and was just going through the the 99, I think it's called, and all the different topics they cover from general revelation, special revelation, inspire, inspiration of scripture, inerrancy. So you're getting a really good foundation. Obviously, this is for the uh, teacher or the adult that's involved with this? Yeah, so there's a teacher guide for every lesson, as well as some videos and things. And then kids have some materials they take home, including these really cool, what we call recap cards that kind of recap the lesson and they get them on a little ring. And what we found is a lot of kids put these on their, they put them on their backpacks. And so by the time they're done, they have over a hundred of these cards that walk (laughs) all the way through scripture. They got a... uh, a dangly, jingly uh, Bible, basically, on their backpack walking around the school. I love it. I love it. So as you think forward, big picture, you want to be in every state, you want to be in every school district. I mean, you you got to dream and pray and wonder what the Lord's doing. Well, Dr. Easley, we want to be in every school building in in this entire nation, of course. I mean, so we know there are 13,000 school districts in the nation. There are 90,000 school buildings and we can't seem to think of any good reasons why we shouldn't seek to make Bible education available to every one of the 50 million public school students in the nation. And so those are big, I know those are big numbers, those are big yeah. dreams, maybe it sounds crazy, but we serve a big God. Well, and based on, I mean, just your trend from where you started to where it is now, I mean, that's got to be awfully encouraging when you wake up in the morning and go, we had eight schools, and now we're, how many did you say currently? Yeah, we started with two in 2019, and next year, and yeah, this fall, 2023, we'll be in over 300 schools. Yeah, that's better than uh, most financial investments. (laughs) (laughs) If you you know of a better financial investment, let me know. (laughs) Exactly. So again, maybe drilling down too far in the details, but given a, let's say a spectrum, you're going to start one to fifth grade. Would that be an optimum you would say in most, if you're starting in a new area, you've got your steering committee, your folks have signed up 50 signatures, et cetera, is elementary, the target first to fifth. That's where we like to start and then expand the program up as we go. Now, part of that's going to be based on the conversation with the school. We've gone into conversations with the school and we thought, you know, let's just do first through third grade. And the school has said, well, if you're going to do first through third, will you do first through fifth? And we've said, sure. And and it's gone the other way too, where we've said, hey, let's try to do the whole school. And the, the school said, would you consider a smaller pilot? And we normally normally engage in that conversation and, and find an agreement. But start with whatever makes sense for the community and then expand the program as we get traction. 
I suspect your committee's got to have a lot of diplomacy and obviously a prayerful attitude, but it would make sense if these men and women knew their community, if they were involved somewhat, they had a, a good relationship with their craft local church and friends to say, hey, this is a good thing. What's the downside? I mean, if you think of schools that have maybe pushed back, what has been their objection? Well, there haven't been many. So our batting average, once we get to the stage of talking with the school, we're over 90% success rate when we're able to sit down with the school. Now, it's very important that we follow that process because you can short circuit it. Yes, we have learned. And as you mentioned, yeah, having some of the right people on the steering committee are very important. However, it doesn't start with that, right? It starts with just gather the signatures and then we'll find the, the right people for the steering committee. But then that's where we really try to bring a lot of value. Now that we've done this over 300 times, we know how to put together that logistical proposal and we know how to have the conversation with the school. And so the community members and a member of our staff work together to have the meeting with the school to come to that agreement. That's fascinating. As you look back, what's been like the biggest surprise besides obviously God's kindness and the growth? What's been two or three really big surprises for you? Oh boy, every day I get surprised. I was just surprised at lunch today with hope to be a big donation, which is we need those, of course, to keep this whole thing going. So there's been a bunch of those along the way. One of the, I'll give you two, and that is this impact that makes sense, but hadn't necessarily been in our minds as we were starting this. Like we started this thinking kids need the gospel, period. Let's do this. But then hearing the feedback from church leaders saying, you know, our community had been for decades very divided. And we've always talked about unity, but here's the first time ever that we've had a real practical way that the churches are coming together to say, we've got to do this together to reach kids in our community. So we keep hearing that story of unity. The other piece is, you know, we started this primarily to reach kids who are not hearing the gospel, not part of a local church. And and that is still the primary thing. But we keep hearing from the Christian families and Christian kids that it's making those kids have much more boldness now because mm. it's no longer weird to be a Christian. It's no longer weird to talk about Jesus or to take your Bible to school because you just had Bible class as a part of the school. And so now yeah. kids are coming back and they're saying, you know, here's what we learned. And they're using their Bible during reading time. And it's becoming part of the culture again, which I think is a bigger win than we had really ever imagined. That's fascinating. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. I I so appreciate your attitude and approach because I think a lot of us, myself included, we're kind of, you know, sanctified pugilists. We want to fight, you know, and principle and the law and doesn't always effectually turn out for a good end. Can you think of a story or an individual maybe that was like really resistant and then after a year or two said, you know, Joel, we were wrong. This is a great, great program. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, there's always the early adopters that get real excited. Yep. And I mean, I remember hearing the the story of the one guy who said, I've been pouring over these materials, these packets, reading and rereading, and I've been trying to find something wrong with this, and I can't <laughs> seem to do it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> of course, of course, I liked hearing that. But then there was, and maybe this isn't exactly what you're asking for, but one classic was the board member at a school board meeting who this woman clearly doesn't like Christianity, doesn't like the Bible. And so she's saying things and she says at a school board meeting, these people are clearly just taking some law that doesn't apply and they're taking it out of context. 
At which point, one of our people was able to hand her a printed copy of the law. And the title of the law is Released Time for Religious Instruction. And so she had to kind of eat those words, and they then voted to approve LifeWise in their school. Fascinating, fascinating. One question I, I failed to ask you is you distinguish a little bit between the what and the how. And I think that'd be helpful for our listeners to understand. You identified this issue, sort of the what and the why, but the how, I didn't really ask you well, forgive me. Talk a little bit about how this came about in your heart and mind, because this is a very robust you know, program you put together from start to finish, it sounds like. So obviously you're going to thank the Lord, but he also uses people. So how did sure. you get these steps kind of hammered out, Joel, to where they are today? You know, we stepped on all the landmines at the beginning so that we found them for all the communities. I mean, so the, as the story goes, it just so happens I'm a bit the Lord kind of made me to be an, a ministry entrepreneur of sorts. And so I was always starting things. I started a ministry team in high school, and I spearheaded a big outreach in college. And then I started a nonprofit, a traveling speaking ministry for the first dozen years of my career, and that grew and scaled. And so it was actually people in my hometown that started a release time program and had such incredible impact. They sought me out to say, hey, Joel, how come this hasn't grown? How come this has been around 70 years and nobody's heard of it? And I was kind of the one, I guess, to say, well, has anybody tried to put this in a box and make this replicable? And what I realized is that it's easy to say, take kids out of the school, teach them the Bible and bring them back. But executing that is an entirely different thing, right? Because you got to basically start a private school. You got to find a facility and transportation and curriculum and statement of faith and fundraising and, and then payroll. I mean, the list goes on yeah. and on. And so we said, well, what if we try to put all those pieces in place? What if, what if we try to remove the barriers? What if we develop the systems and processes and accounting and resources and training and all the things so communities don't need to reinvent the wheel? What if we just provided that to communities? Is the timing right that this would take off? That was the idea in 2018, and the Lord is really using it. But again, it's through him bringing us all the right people at the right time. So the local community, the grassroots, the 50 signatures, the steering committee, all these sequential 10 steps happen. How is it then funded at that local level? It's a new community, Hometown USA, first time this school's offering, let's say, uh, first through fifth. How is that funded, Joel? Yeah, well, it's local people who are funding it. And now we provide training on how to fund it, and we'll train on a three-stage fundraising process. Here's how you raise your first full year's budget in the first 12 weeks. You know, here's how you do your committee. Here's your scripts. Here's your letters. Here's your promotional materials. I mean, we give... We give you the training and we give you all the materials. And then once you secure that first full year, here's how you build out what we call your home team, which is your recurring givers, the monthly and annual givers. And once you secure all those, now here's how you can start working on building a long-term investment account that the revenue from that, the earnings from that can go to support the work in the future. And so that's part of the training we provide. It's all done locally. But here's what we're finding is that God has his people in every community. And yep. the stories of the people who are stepping up to say, oh, you need to buy that building? Okay, I'll buy it for you. I mean, in Kansas, our first program in Kansas, they had a community meeting just for one of our people to go out there and to share the vision. And on the spot, spontaneously, 
the community raised $200,000 to buy the house across the street from the school. I mean, this is this is what God is doing as part of this project. And so, yes, it's a local project. We'll provide the tools, and God and his people will show up. Well, and that's you know one of the things that I learned over the years with you're not just raising money, you're, you're underscoring ministry and funding ministry. And people get excited when they see something like a Barnabas gift where, you know, here's a piece of land, I'm going to sell it and give the money away. Here's a house we're going to buy to get you started. And people say, okay, this is serious. The pros call it a lead gift or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. but there's this this big, oh, wow, people are committed to this. And then what we found over the years was if it's a, I hate to say successful, but if it's an effectual ministry that God's using, people tend to continue supporting. I mean, oh, yes. rare is a person that's one and done, some of them. But God's people, the thing about what I love what you're doing is very few people have a problem with public school kids learning about the Bible. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Know, that, that would seem to be kind of, okay, there's not really, you know, what's wrong with it? Well, I'm not sure I could point something to it, you know. But anyway, well, this has been exciting, and I'm so glad that we connected Joel Penton, his newest book, During School Hours, all the information in the show notes, and we'll have links to the YouTube sites, but you can watch the promo videos. In full confession, I was, ah, this is a 30-minute thing almost. Ah, I was like watching the whole thing on, this is very well done. These are real people. This is like, this is great, Joel. So I applaud your folks building your YouTube and curriculum materials and the links to the Gospel Project are helpful. So encourage any parent out there, any soon-to-be parent, before you know it, you'll be putting your little son or daughter in a public school system, probably. And if you can't find other alternatives in your area, this is an extraordinary opportunity for you to reach kids for the kingdom of God and bring others alongside to help you. I'm excited to hear about the you know working down some of the division walls, because that's something we... Yeah seem to throw up our hands right now with politics being what they are. It's like, oh, how do we, we're such a divided country. So this is cool to see how God's using you, Joel. Well, I appreciate the encouragement. Yet again, it's the Lord who's doing it. And sometimes I feel like a kite in a hurricane and, uh, (laughs) and that's an adventure. Well, he uses people. We give credit to the Lord, but he does use his people and he's using you. So God bless you. And as always, folks, all the information in the show notes, I encourage you to take a look at it and, Maybe you need to, uh, after you've heard this or watched it, go to the site and find uh, Where's My School and fill out that form and see what God just might do. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.